Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Behold this day, he says, this day I am going before all the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass, not one of them has failed. Isn't God faithful? Has he, is he faithful to you? Has he been faithful to them? He has been. Nothing has failed of all that God told them that he was going to do. His end of the deal he held and he did. Welcome to our Bible study for today. Joshua's time on earth is coming to an end. He continues to encourage and advise the children of Israel. He reminds them to take careful heed to themselves and love the Lord your God as he is always faithful to his promises. Joshua also requires that every man probe deep within and see if there is ever a time in his life when he could rightly accuse God of unfaithfulness to us. If we think there could be such a legitimate accusation, it shows we know little of the God we claim to know. And now, let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. And it's interesting because as we look at verses 7 and 8, I put a star by those because Joshua was really prophetic and, and speaking this way, because that's exactly what would befall them in later years. That's exactly what would bring them into captivity by the Assyrians in 722, and certainly by the Babylonians for the southern two tribes in, in 606 B.C. Same thing would happen, and this is prophetic. In fact, uh, look with me, just turn the page and go to Joshua chapter 24, verses 31 this is a really interesting verse. It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, which we'll get to this, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. And they served him all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. But notice, once they die, now the kids start to play again. They get, to the, they get close to the finish line and they decide, you know what, it's... They, they, they've already had kind of victory. They've already tasted it a little bit, and they've gotten lazy. They haven't finished the job. And then in Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, if there's two verses or two sections of Scripture I would have you look at, it's these two. Because in Judges chapter 2, it reads for us this. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal, to Bochim, and we're going to uh, get to this in a, uh, probably about a month from now. We'll get it. We'll be in Judges in this area of Scripture. And again, this is uh, after uh, the book we're reading now. 
Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Can you imagine an angel of the Lord? We believe this might have been a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus even. Really getting on their case. Why have you done this? And this is a pretty stern rebuke. Therefore, I also said... I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. And so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and they wept. They wept. And this is evidently a, um, a godly sorrow. Do you know the difference between godly sorrow and earthly sorrow? Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 tells us, Paul tells us, For godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Worldly sorrow is sorrow because it got caught. Have you ever seen somebody when they get caught? They're crying because of the consequences that are coming. They're not crying because they really felt bad about what they did. Because if they felt bad about what they did, they would have repented of it. But repentance is the proof of godly sorrow, of godly sorrow. So going on here in Judges chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Then they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. And here's the verse in verse 7 of Judges 2. Notice this. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died when he was 110 years old. How's that for an old age? 110. Wow. He must have ate a lot of vitamin C. Very strong man. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath Heres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers. Notice, this is the sad, this is the sad history right here. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. Isn't that interesting? After Joshua, after the elders, after the men they admired, they put these men up on a pedestal. And isn't it funny? We often serve that which we can see. But as soon as the man that we can see who we feared because we saw the Lord upon him, once he's removed from the scene, we lose our fear of God. Unless somebody raises up somebody immediately like it was between Moses and Joshua, which after Joshua, things just kind of floundered. God had to raise up judges at different times. But once Moses and Joshua were out from, and the elders, once they had all passed away, the people forgot about God because they, they, they were looking at the man. And see, we live in a land of hero worshipers. I like this pastor. I like that pastor. Well, what happens if that pastor dies? Are you still going to go on with the Lord? Are you still going to worship him? Are you still going to follow him? Or are you going to serve? Or are you going to just get discouraged and just do something else with your life now? We have to understand this. And unfortunately, they did. They served. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And unfortunately, this is going to be the routine that we're going to see as we get into the book of Judges for the next 450 years. 
it's going to be a roller coaster of they did great, they were serving the Lord, obeying him, and then they fell back into their idolatry, and they, God brought their enemies upon them. God would raise up a judge and deliver them out of the hand of their enemies. There'd be a time of prosperity, and then they would get fat, and then they would go down again, and it was just going up and down and up and down, and so it goes, so it goes. For 450 years, this unfortunate thing happened. So verse 9 back in our text says, For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand before you until this day. And, and I love this. As he's on his deathbed, he's saying these things, and usually when people are on their deathbeds, the things that they share are extremely important, and we ought to be listening. So he goes on in verse 10. He says, One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. You remember in, uh, you can just write down this reference over this verse, over verse 10 here, is in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. We're not going to read all seven verses, but I just want to read something to you. Remember what he's saying to them. He says, one man of you shall chase a thousand. That's the way it should be. One, one man of you, the, the fear of the nations will be so great that one man of you, Israel, will chase a thousand. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's, a, it's a, a, a chapter that we call the blessings and cursings of Israel. And God said, and, and just write this, the verse down, I'll read it to you. It says, it shall come to pass, if you diligently, notice, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, and here it is, that the Lord your God, he will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then you go down to verse 7. You can read the whole thing. It's, it's pretty interesting. But in verse 7 it says, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Do you see how just one Israelite in obedience to God will drive out the enemy. One of them will have an impact on many, on multitudes. And that's the way, that's the, the way of obedience. When they were obedient, that's the way it would be. That's the way it would be. He says in verse 11, going back to our text, Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, notice there's a slight rebuke there. By the way, they're still remaining among you, children of Israel. You were supposed to take care of them. You haven't. Remember what I said? They're going to be thorns in your side. If you cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and you make marriages with them to go into them and they to you, know for certain, verse 13, that the Lord your God will no longer drive out those nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Again, this is, this is such a wonderful, uh, unfortunately, it's a good segue going into Judges, what uh, Joshua's telling them on his deathbed. He's telling them these things. Behold this day, he says, this day I am going before all the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass, not one of them has failed. Isn't God faithful? Has he, is he faithful to you? Has he been faithful to them? He has been. Nothing has failed of all that God told them that he was going to do. His end of the deal he held, and he did. But he responded. He wanted them now to respond to what he has done, and they were 
to do things as well, i.e., drive out the remaining of the elements of those pagan nations. But he says in uh, verse 15, Therefore it shall, notice, it shall come to pass. Here Joshua is, he is prophesying again. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things that have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord God will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord God has given you. I find that interesting that even on his deathbed, you see God still using him to prophesy, to tell them, to warn them what's coming. I don't know about you, but the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua have been wonderful. But it has been, there's been a a repetitive theme, and that is accountability. God has always told them, What's going to happen? If you do this, then this is going to happen. If you do this, this is going to happen. They're called conditional promises. And we see one in the very next verse. And I want you to underline the word when. Notice verse 16. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you've gone and you've served other gods and bowed down to them, underline the word then, because here's the condition. When you've done this, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Remember that chapter 28 in Deuteronomy that I was talking about? The, the, the chapter of blessings? Well, there's also in that chapter a, a very large section of curses. And let me read to you just a couple verses. It begins in verse 15. It says, but it shall come to pass, notice, if condition. There's a condition here. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And there is a big, long list there, which we're not going to read. But I will read this one to you, two of them, actually. In verse 20, it says, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke, in all that you set your hand to, until you are destroyed, and until you perish quickly, because of the wickedness of your doings, which you have forsaken me. Does that sound like a condition? It is. There are some conditions that God says, you know, uh, where God will make a, a promise that is unconditional. He made that to Abraham. I'm going to make your descendants as the sand of the sea, as the, as the stars of heaven, Abraham. I'm going to make your descendants, and you will inherit this land. And there was nothing that Abraham had to do to validate that promise. It was a promise that God made. He didn't apply any conditions to it. However, there are many like this where God says, if you do this, then I will do this. And when you do this, then I'm going to do this. Conditional promises. That means they had to do something about what they had heard, just as we do, right? We have to put off the old man. You see that in Paul's letters so much. He gives that list, you know, put off those things that are warring against your members. Put off, and he gives you a long list of all those ugly things, fornication, wrath, and uh, adultery, and all that whole list there. He says, but now, you put off those things, but now put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the robe of righteousness. Put on these things. That's something we have to do. God has done his part, but we have to do something. And we can't even do it in our flesh, right? We have to do it by the Spirit of God. He, he, we need him. Without him, I'm a mess. Is there anyone here that's doing really well without the Spirit of God? No, I think I've, in my life I've proven that I can do nothing apart from him. I've tried. I've tried to perfect sin. I've tried to be the master at sin, to be a master at something, and I turn out to be the biggest loser 
But God, but God gets a hold of a life. Does he love you? Has he saved you wonderfully? Praise the Lord. Notice in verse 25 of this uh, same chapter, in chapter 28, I'll, I'll finish with this one. He says, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You should go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. Notice, it's just the exact opposite. You were supposed to be the one that would put to flight seven people. Now, because of your disobedience, now, oh, you know, you, you're going to flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Let's go into chapter 24. And I love what Joshua does here in this final chapter. It's really just a review. It's really a review from Abraham all the way to the present. He's given uh, the children of Israel a Bible study. He's given them a, a summary of, 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 their, of the very beginnings of Abraham coming out of Ur the Chaldees over there on, in, in modern-day Iraq. He came out of there, and he went up north to Haran, and then he came down into the Promised Land, into the land of Canaan. And he gives them, basically, a Bible study. And we see this in other parts of the Scripture. You know, do you remember when uh, Stephen, the martyr, the, the first deacon of the church, remember in uh, Acts chapter 7, it records for us that he stood before the Sanhedrin before he was stoned to death. And he basically gave them a Bible study. Basically showing that Jesus Christ, this one in whom we believe, he is the, the summation of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he gives them a history of how he's to be the David's uh, son and how he was going to be David's, uh, you know, the heir to the throne of, of, of Judah and the, the heir of the throne of the king of David. And he goes through and he gives them his long Bible study, this long summary. And so Joshua here, on his last day, he does the same thing. And this is done at Shechem which is um, just a little bit away from Shiloh. Let's read it together. A lot of this we're just going to read. It says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called the elders of Israel from their uh, heads, from their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And notice what Joshua said to all the people. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Thus says the Lord God. And then he goes on. He says, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abram, Abraham, and the father of Nahor, they dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. Because remember, they came from what we call modern-day Iraq. They came from the other side of the Euphrates, right? And they served other gods, he says. And then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, which is the river Euphrates. I led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. So now we have Abraham. Now we have Isaac. And to Isaac, verse 4, I gave Jacob and Esau. Notice this. I think this is really sweet of the Lord to put this in here. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. You know, sometimes people get on, they get frustrated with the Lord because they think, well, he only cares about the Jewish people. But he doesn't just care about the Jewish people. Yes, he had a specific plan, a wonderful uh, heritage for them, wonderful promises. But it doesn't mean that he disliked anybody else. You see this right here. To Esau, he was not even the chosen. Jacob was the chosen one. But Esau, did I just cast him off and did I not care for him? No, I made him, I gave him mountains of, of Seir to possess. And what about Ishmael too? Back in Genesis. Even though Isaac was born, what about Ishmael? Did God cast away Ishmael and say, you're not the chosen one, get out of my way, boy. 
No, he made him a prosperous man. He made him a man of many nations. Many dukes came from him. So God is not a respecter of persons. He does have a plan. He did have a plan and does through a specific grace. That's definitely true, but he cares for everybody. We have to understand that. You know, even as Christians, we can't get too hung up on Israel, and we can't get hung up just on Christians. We have to realize that God loves people. He doesn't care what color your skin is. He doesn't care what part of the world you came from. He doesn't care what false god you may be serving now. And there are many people serving false gods over in the East. He loves all of them. And each one is a valuable soul to him that he loves. That he died, he purchased with his own blood. We have to remember that. Because I think as Christians, and especially those of us who love Israel, and you know, especially I'm on this buzz now because I'm about ready to take off. Right? And so I'm very gung-ho Israel. And we ought to love Israel, right? The scriptures tell us. I mean, the people can be just like anybody else, right? But they're God's chosen people. He's got a plan for them. But does God not love everybody else? Doesn't he love the people who are calling themselves Palestinians, the Arabs? Does he still love those people? You better believe he does. He sees no one less valuable than the other. But yet we can somehow, sometimes, if we're not careful... We get our pet people, our pet groups of people, and we forget that God loves other people. So we have to think about that. No matter who they are, whether they're Democrat, whether they're Republican, whether they're independent, God loves them all, and we ought to love them all, regardless of who they are, what they are, where they've been, what they've done. It doesn't matter. Because I was one of those people on the other side of the river, (laughs) and God brought me into his land. Did he bring you into his land? Amen. Let's learn to love again. And I think we need to learn to love again. Because as time is growing, what does the Bible say? As, as iniquity shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. As we get closer to the end days, we're going to find that happening. Folks, we have to resist it. We have to pray against it in our own hearts. In our own hearts first. But God is not a respecter of persons. Verse 5, he says, Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt. According to what I did among them, afterward I brought you out. And so he's given them this Bible study, re- reminding them who, where they came from. What are their origins? It's important to know where you came from. Do you know your heritage? Do you know where you came from? It's important to know these things. When you, when you know where you've, where you've come from, you know where you're going. And thank God we know who we came from. We got the seed of of Abraham, the seed of faith. we got God in our hearts. We know that where are we going? Are we just wandering aimlessly in the world, or do we have a place to go? Didn't Jesus say, I've prepared a place for you that where I am you might also be? Is he indeed preparing a place? Is that where you're going? Because if it is, it ought to change the way I think today. It ought to change me. If, it do, if I'm not finding myself being changed, I better wake up. I better wake up and say, Lord, what's going on in my head? What am I doing with my life? How come I'm not speaking to people about Jesus anymore? How come I'm not talking to my friends and my neighbors? When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When's the last time you put yourself in a position, the uncomfortable position, because it's never easy, is it? It's never easy. Because part of the gospel is that the person you're talking to, you have to tell them that they've sinned against God. That's part of the gospel, isn't it? You sinned, but so have I. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So 
Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, verse 6, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen and to the Red Sea, another impossible situation that God was put them in on purpose. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.